Hello and welcome to You Made Me Watch That, where two film studies professors aim to expand each other's cinematic knowledge one recommendation at a time. I am your co-host, Wickham Flanagan. And I am your co-host, Colleen Kennedy Carpot. This episode, we are discussing... Ethan Hawke. The versatile... Yes. Ethan Hawke. Multifaceted. Uh, long-careered Ethan Hawke. Very we, long career. We, we, yeah, we can go back into the back catalog a bit, but we are focusing today on my recommendation of Reality Bites. And my recommendation of three movies, but they're all very interconnected, the Before Trilogy. Yes. And we are doing Ethan Hawke in anticipation. Or I am doing Ethan Hawke. Yes, in, you in, educated me on this. I in, have no idea In anticipation was. of Pedro Almodovar's upcoming short film, Strange Way of Life, which is set to be released in October. Uh, it looks like the love child of Johnny Guitar and Brokeback Mountain, starring Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal. I didn't know. Is it also a Western? Yes. Oh, okay. They, and like the poster has these two, has Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal in like- A loving embrace. In, in, no, in like the the, the um, Andy Warhol Elvis pose, which is from one of his movies. It's just the layers to this. I cannot wait for this movie. Everything I have seen about Strange Way of Life is just like injected directly into my veins. I cannot wait. I love the short film trend for Almodovar. It's supposed to be 30, 30? 31 minutes. Okay, okay. So 31 minutes, which is- I, I want to see more short films. I, I that's yeah. again we, we we talked a little bit in our summer rundown about futures of movies. I want to see more short films absolutely everywhere. Give it to me on streaming. Give it to me on the big screen. What if they're Give not all festivals? Mixture between Donna Guitar and Brokeback Mountain. That's though. okay. Just okay. you know, if you're only investing twenty minutes of your life, you can actually afford to experiment a little mm, bit more, which I think is is a really underrated aspect of of short film screenings. Um, you should watch some of these. Um, I, I know this is a bit more academic, but you should watch some of these Silect films. Ah, yeah. Because uh, I mean, you're watching a lot of mediocre ones, but you know, a lot of students put a lot of effort sure, into all yeah. of them, and it's just fascinating to see from a narrative perspective. Mm -hmm. Like you did not stick the landing for this twenty so minutes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just Does it pay it's off a, or it, not? Yeah. It's a different kind of criteria. Is sure. the subject matter? enough for this amount of time is it too much you know yes kind of thing. yeah there's a flexibility to the short film format that i think is really productive yes and is underutilized in the industry and i think we are exactly at a right moment to start to capitalize on it a little bit more but um, ethan hawk has ethan also hawk. been in some feature-length films yeah like a whole bunch of them <laughs> also shouting out to first reformed yes from 2017 we would have recommended that to we, each other but we, we both, both already saw it <laughs> so that is paul schrader um written and directed we couldn't include it on the episode but first oh. reformed is such a powerhouse movie it's holy a, crow he should have weird. been ethan hawk should have been nominated for an oscar he was robbed of a nomination he was it's a, so it's, good it's in that a movie. it's a twisted little movie I it don't, really I, is i don't think that the academy would have well no well, paul schrader though is you know he, he's had some ups and downs he has had some ups and but but i mean but that movie it was an up I, I am su I am surprised it didn't get more traction. Well, it's a bit. It's about like it's deeply disturbing. Yeah, now. it's it's about a lot of hot button stuff. Yeah, uh, climate a, change a, a, a and, and and religious. Yeah. Well, I, mean, it's, it, I guess there's a dose of theology in it. Um, the the sort of commercial Christianity Suicide versus oh, well, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's he's it's a, crazy, he's, uh, and, yeah, and Ethan Hawke really, oh, and and Amanda, Aunt Amanda Seyfried, she, yeah. they both sort of anchor that movie. Him more than she doesn't have as much. No, to no, no. Do. But she she has some symbolic roles. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
but she, he he definitely yeah, he yeah. oh god because he yeah. has he has a, a crazy arc yeah absolutely um, just just putting that crisis on screen in a way that makes it not seem so out there until afterwards when you have to talk about it, you go like, oh, my oh my god, god. he really went there <laughs> he went there yeah. yeah but like in general we can both agree and I've always liked Ethan Hawke I, I should say. Mm-hmm. And I have not seen it in a while, but a movie, and this is more in the realm of Reality Bites and also Before Sunrise, to a certain extent. Before Sunrise, you can see the Reality Bites, Ethan Hawke in oh, there. Oh, yeah. That, that is a type for him, too. Yes. Like... But also in that type is um, a movie that my dad really reveres, but is apparently not really much appreciated by history, is um, Ethan Hawke's uh, Hamlet. Ah, um, he plays that type in Hamlet. No, it it he looks like that. In what? fact, he's a very he's very dry <laughs> in Hamlet. And part of the problem with Hamlet is that it is a bit dry. It has Bill Murray in it, and yes, Julia Polonius, Stiles, I guess, yeah. And there's some really clever things. Like I, I mainly remember the play to out uh, yes. his father's killer mm-hmm. is actually an experimental film, which Ooh. is kind of cool. Um, <laughs> so there's there's some clever, uh, like the costuming is very you know modern there's some clever stuff with that but it's a little dry and ethan hawk i mainly think of him honestly weirdly as hamlet because that was playing all the time and you know well, I'd, saying that was hamlet what 2000 yeah uh, so that would have been like the most a little recent, bit later that yeah. would have been the most recent hamlet for you in high school because i think you can mark generations with this well the one i saw first was the mel gibson one okay you see that i think was the most recent hamlet when i was in high school so that is the one that I think we watched. Actually, no, we watched the same, the, you know, the big Hamlet monologue in a couple of different versions. There was a Kevin Klein version. I think Kevin Klein's was the best. And Kenneth Gibson. Branagh, you mean? Mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh? No. Oh, well, we watched Kenneth Branagh, too, but Kevin Klein did Hamlet somewhere. I mean, this might have been a stage production. Oh, okay. Filmed. I don't know. Um, but the no, Kenneth Kevin... Branagh film, I Branagh, think, is the yes, best. Branagh, yes, well, Branagh. But it's like five hours long. But it's so, beautiful. Well, I guess, yeah. Okay. But um, <laughs> but it's, it's, we'll, yeah, we'll it's... do a separate Hamlet cast. Uh, Helena Bottom Carter, Carter is the uh, best Ophelia. Ah, well, that would make sense. Yes, she's fantastic as Ophelia. Um, and Ethan Hawke's fine. Um, but yeah, I just, I've, I've, I've always appreciated him, and partially because in like recent memories, he's just kind of uh, just been in like fun. He's in the Northman genre films. Northman maybe not a fun genre film example. Uh, he, he got he got to do some of the fun stuff. That's in the true. He goes, yeah, yep, <laughs> he has, yep. a, he has an, an arrow in his neck, and he, and he screams something. Well, well, he, he it was um you know Willem Dafoe is the you know priest. I mostly figure. remember he says like. He says, "Like kill me or avenge me or something, something like that." Do yeah. do it, do it, and he he has a really great um, yeah outpouring of emotion. Also, mm-hmm. yes, when he's farting with his son in the yes. in the cave, yeah, which is the a fun sentence. So which is a fun <laughs> sentence. <laughs> anyway, yeah, shout uh, out to the good Lord Bird as well. Yeah, we have. I've not watched that. I have not watched it yet either. He played militant abolitionist John Brown. It got great reviews, yes. especially for him. I am enjoying the grizzled period. Uh, just seeing him do this kind of stuff, it's such a departure from the sort of youthful things that we are going to be talking about. Yeah, yeah. And um, definitely there's like different stages of his performance. Sure. And I think the before trilogy nicely illustrates that. Oh, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, it's about the passage of time. Yes. Um, but I think uh, we can go with our key films. We want to go chronologically. But did you want to get into um, the other kind of branches of Ethan Hawke's career? Because we've got this sort of 
Ethan Hawke type that goes back to his youth, like even like Dead Poet Society. He's in that. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. another like big touchstone. If you've seen a dude in a movie in 1989 through the 90s, probably they were one of the boys in Dead Poet Society. And so he that's he, he's a big role in that. Um, I just I think I appreciate that he can he's a fantastic actor, but he he is not. And this is a weird thing to say, because I don't think he would say it like this. And I don't think it's very nice, probably. But he can, I think he can slum it in the sense that he can be in somewhat trashier movies or movies that are indeed maybe not of his caliber. But he obviously elevates them. And it's one of those things where I, I revere the movie more because I think of it, oh, that's the one where, you know. That's the one with Ethan Hawke in it, well, which okay. is a weird thing to say. What are the examples here? The one that I really remember, and I I, I would love, you'll never watch it. Um, and I, no one seems to be as big a fan of it as I am, but I think it's a really compelling little horror film called Sinister, hmm. um, directed by Scott Derrickson, who went on to make The Black Phone with mm -hmm. Ethan Hawke, which I hear is better than yeah. Sinister. Um, it, it's just, it's he's like a writer, but it's, a, it's him watching these Super 8 films, and there's some sort of spirit in the Super 8 films that comes out of the films to get him. This is, you probably can tell why I like the film. Right. Fundamentally, as a genre film, it's a bit, um, there's a terrible bit in Sinister where uh, Vincent D'Onofrio gets on a Zoom, a Skype call, and goes, uh, you're dealing with a spirit called Bagul. Um, so there's, a, there's some silliness in Sinister. Um, gosh, gosh, Bagul. <laughs> it's Bagul. <laughs> Um, but, uh, Ethan Hawke sells it and, and fundamentally as a horror film, it's scary. So like I give it, I okay. give it a lot of credit cause it's Yeah, I'm not going to watch that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and Ethan Hawke's in it and he's great. Oh, good. And, uh, he's in another film and I, I'm going to have a special thanks film, Ooh. but he's in another film called uh, predestination, which is this weird little, um, science fiction time travel story, which is essentially about Sarah Snook hmm. becoming someone out of time. She has no past and no future. And I, I'm not even going to begin to explain it, but it gets biologically complicated. I can imagine. And it's a weird commentary on something. I don't quite know if it's if it's um <laughs> if it's slightly if it's I don't I don't know exactly what predestination is doing, but it's it's certainly an interesting sci-fi time travel story that Ethan Hawke is in. And he 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 play he plays like a time traveling agent kind of person, yeah. Um, which he does a very good job with. Yeah. And so I, I I always look at any. I think another example of what I'm talking about is he's one of the magnificent seven in the magnificent seven remake. Like oh. Ethan Hawke doesn't need to do that, but he got a call and he's like, I'll be in this remake. Uh, I think it's Fuk Fukunaga. Kerry Fuk Fukunaga. Um, I forget his name. He did the Equalizer movies. Uh, Fuqua? Uh, Antoine Fuqua. Antoine Fuqua, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, he's like, sure, I'll be one of the seven in The Magnificent Seven. I, what am, I'm Ethan Hawke. It'll, it'll be fun. <laughs> what else am I doing? Uh, this has also backfired <laughs> for him, I should say. I have not seen it, but he's in like a terrible movie with Selena Gomez called The Getaway, where he just is in a car the entire time and they're driving. And it's like an action movie and apparently oh. it's it's awful. Okay. And Ethan Hawke, but that's a bad example. And he's like been Tesla and stuff. He's oh, been yeah. a, He's been he's, in a lot yeah, he of played stuff. He played Nikolai Tesla. And I just appreciate that he always he's, he always he elevates works. it, but he's yeah. not he, he's he's okay with being in a sinister. And he and he and he, it doesn't feel like he's it just feels like he's having. I guess fundamentally, I feel like Ethan Hawke enjoys his job. Yeah, 
Yeah, agreed. And I think that I, I respond to that very, very much, um, more so than some actors. Mm-hmm. And he never feels like he's overly pretentious about himself. No, I, I would agree with that. He he seems like a real like actorly actor in that sense. Like he's a nerd about it, but yeah. he's not pretentious about it. Yes. Yeah. He seems like a cool actor to meet in real life. Yeah. He's he's done a lot of stage work, too, I think. I think that's how he ended up with some of these earlier roles is you know, he was doing theater between filming and people. I would explain be, the Hamlet connection. Well, that's, yeah. And then he ends up doing that Shakespeare. There's an, He was in Coriolanus uh, years later, Was I think, which I think is, it must be the same Coriolanus that, um, what's his name? Guy who plays Loki. Hiddleston. Hiddleston, thank you. I think Hiddleston's in that, too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, anyways, yeah. I mean, the, you look at his filmography, it's long. He's been in a lot. And that's just the, that's just the film stuff, screen stuff, not the stage stuff. If you put it all together, I mean, you'd wonder when this guy sleeps. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's branching out. He's doing interesting things. He has managed that pivot of age. Mm-hmm. I think it seems very, you know, cannily, very, you know, mindfully. And we'll see what he does with this Almodovar. I cannot wait. But, uh, shall we get into it? So, who do you let, want to start? What do you want to start? Let's with? let's go chronologically in release order, so that leaves us with Reality Bites, nineteen ninety four, so, directed by one Ben, ben Stiller, r- written by Helen. I forgot her last name. Kit Kitmber. We can written, look that up. I was looking yeah. up. Who um, wrote it. But yeah, this is an early directorial effort from Ben Stiller. Yes, he looks very young in it. I was shocked. Yes. Um, uh, I don't know when uh, Cable Guy came out. That's the only other Ben Stiller film I know of. Gosh, I think that was that later. Era. Yeah, but I mean, Ben Stiller. And then we talked about Succession, obviously. Yes, Big but fan. not not Succession. Um, Severance. <laughs> Severance. Severance. Succession's the other one. Succession is the other one everyone's talking about. Sorry. No, Severance, yes. Ben Stiller directed Severance, which we talked about in an early mini episode. Um, and yeah, but I mean, he directs, he performs mostly in comedies. I mean, if you go back, especially Helen in the Childress, 90s. Helen Childress, do you know okay. who that is? The name sounds familiar, but I couldn't name okay. anything else. Okay. Um, but yeah, reality bites is a real touchstone film for Gen X, kind of a stereotypical film for Gen X. The estimated budget, $11.5 million. Um, I recommended it simply. Yeah. Be- Why'd you recommend it? Well, because be- because if we're talking about Ethan Hawke, this is like, I think this film. Peacock. Hmm? Peacock. No. I, I, see, I don't know about peak, um, but I think the sort of image slash hmm. mythology that attached to him from this movie ended up shaping that entire trajectory which we I'm so which, sorry for which him we actually see through the sunrise uh, the before trilogy as well but he's not a raging a-hole in the before films no but I it, there's there are certain key personality traits yeah that I think he carries it's it's that youthful insouciant like <sighs> I want to say like like smartest man in the room. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. This sort of doofy but pretentious. Yes. Air. But he's actually but like a nice person in the. But yeah, he's films. not even well. Yeah. Well, but I mean, but like, reality he's, bites is again. Like, it's a movie that I think. The 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 parts of it are so great 
and so like like there's such an importance attached to like it's Ethan Hawke in reality. Time but capsule. It is. It's a time capsule in a lot of ways. Um, Janine Garofalo in this mm -hmm. movie also sort of like becomes. So who I she only is. know from what what Hot American Summer. Which, but I mean, I don't think that movie would happen unless we go through this stuff first. Um, it just it's it it encapsulates that era in a very particular way. You hadn't seen it, and I know it's it's. I I just think it's it's. It's something you have to see, and you probably won't like it as much as people remember that they like it. Because I did it's not watch this. In, I did not watch this like at the time, but I watched it later, and I sort of thought, like, why was everybody so gaga for this movie? But it is. It's got these series of moments, and I of can course, imagine Winona Ryder's why. really, really. When a writer comes into her own, Let's in this just movie as well. Stop you right there. Um, I think I'm just hot for Winona Ryder. All I right. think that that it completely shaped my viewing of this film. Okay, which it did for lots of people. And I and I and I am not ashamed to admit it, but um, yeah, that's a completely a factor. It's way more of a Winona Ryder movie for me than it is an Ethan Hawke. Oh, movie. totally. But we have yeah. this this sort of like choice between two dudes. I could barely follow the story at a certain point. Well, I mean, I'm it's it's yeah. So it's <laughs> it's a coming of age film. You've got this lead role, Winona Ryder, playing Lilena. Um, who is a you know valedictorian, just graduated from college. Are there like a bunch 22. of people who are hot on Winona Ryder all the time? Gee, ah. I don't hear about that. <laughs> because you're so blinded by your own attraction. Yes. You will well, not suffer I, it occurred rivals. To me, well, it occurred to me, I grew up with like Age of Innocence, and she's obviously, everyone's attractive in that, peak hotness, peak as you hotness, say. that's but, right. But she's so like, I don't know. She's the villainous sort yeah, of. Yeah, it's less peak hotness for her. Like she's out of the main attractions in Age of Innocence. Right. Yeah. So it is. I don't know. It was nice to see her in she her was the element. It girl. Yes, she was the it girl at this point. Like she was in Edward Scissorhands Heathers. a couple of years. Uh, was that, that I was think before? Heather's yeah. was before. But yeah, I mean this this is peak Ryder for sure. Like we can argue about whether it's peak Hawk. I think his peak comes with the before yeah. movies later, um, but. I, I, this uh, is absolutely peak Winona Ryder before her rather public And that's what convinced shaming. me to watch the movie, I should say. So that Well, okay, out. yeah. But I mean, it, it, it's an interesting... Um, she has this choice that the film gives her between these two dudes. Like, she's having her own crisis. Yeah, it's a love triangle. I wonder what's going to happen. It's not a triangle because um, the, the dudes don't meet, right? So, yes, they do. Do they? I don't, I don't remember. I should have rewatched this. <laughs> no, you, it's fine. But it's fine. <laughs> the parts that you remember being good are still good. The parts that are very conventional. Or baff yeah. And I, then, I, then there are parts where it's just like, what, what is going on I, here? And, and, I, and I'm usually not in this. And we've talked about how hot people are this entire day. Spoilers. <laughs> but um, I'm usually not as blinded by that or that doesn't influence me as much. I, that's probably not true. I shouldn't even say that. How do, we, how do we know? How do we know? But I definitely made the movie more pleasurable for me to watch. So that was a factor here. But the entire time, everyone's being controlling and manipulative to Winona Ryder. Yeah. I just wanted to go Winona. I'm I'm right I'm right here Winona. Why are you choosing between this this luck head and no, this No, exactly. It's like there's no real choice yes, here. Exactly. Elena. <laughs> and and I and I think Ethan Hawke is good in the movie. Yeah. I think he's very very good. Yeah. I think it's a tricky role because he he lost me. He was mm. He was writing that line of what he's become, as you were saying, this mm -hmm. kind of type of character. And then he just does a few too many things. I think he like he when he and you haven't seen it in a while, but he does a performance where he's sort of saying a bunch of overtly like gross sex things to her. He's singing them to her as like a like a vindictive thing. Mm. And, I, and I'm just like, oh, 
it has it, aged it, well. It, lo- it lost. Like he lost me. He says some mean things to her that are in his in his own kind of pretentious way, and then that kind of he he became unlikable. And so when you get to the the very very end, it's like I I wanted her to run off with Ben Stiller at a certain point. I'm like, well, at least Ben Stiller, you know. He's trying. Um, he doesn't. He's not as overtly. Um, he takes her material, and it becomes. That's one of the better parts of the movie. Uh, do you remember that? When face the movie or face the face the image or something, something like that. Yeah. The the titular. This is one of the better examples of a title being incorporated very well mm. because I always assumed it was like reality bites. <laughs> I was just so assumed it was like that, but no, it's like. It's the real world. It's <gasps> it's reality which, bites, <laughs> which is even stupider. <laughs> and um and the edited v- version of her, you know, because Winona Ryder, she's a. It's very much in the vein of like a kicking and screaming. I know yes, you, yes, I, I, okay. yes, yes, um, yes. Which and, we have uh, talked about. Ethan Hawke feels like he's ripped straight out of kicking, kicking and, and screaming. screaming. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Except he's not collegiate enough, right? Right. He's more he of a slacker. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, they're all slackers, which also came out, out, out around the same time. Um, but yeah, so she's making a documentary that's showing the realness of her generation, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and, uh, and then Ben Stiller takes the footage and gives it to some executives for his television channel and they convert it into this sort of very edited, silly thing. And the sad thing is I was more interested in the edited version because at least it was kind of, it was very satirical and fun. And that was the Ben Stiller I feel like mm. his hands were on some of that satire yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, I think the cable guy gets into that a little bit. Or like the the Good Morning America guy. Do you remember this? Who who's evil, who she works for and she has him say hmm. terrible things right. on air. Yes. Um but the central romance I could not have I did not particularly care for. I think Ethan Hawke and Winona Ryder and Ben Stiller but here's the here's the thing. Okay, so you're Ben Stiller, all right? You're you're making a movie. You're making a movie. You got Winona Ryder in your movie. You're like, what should I cast myself as? Oh, I can be the guy that has this prolonged romantic scene with Winona Ryder where we get to make out for like twenty minutes in the movie. I'm watching this. I'm like, Ben, <laughs> come on, buddy. <laughs> and I understand that she ends up with Ethan Hawke, and he's like, but I'm a yuppie. I'm like a you know yeah. a doofy guy. But it's yeah. like, Ben, I know what you're doing. You know, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Um, don't cast yourself as that role. But anyway, um, too late. Too late. No, Winona Ryder was a luminous uh, presence, and it, yeah. it, she she made she was very good in the movie too. Yeah. I'm not just uh, yeah. objectifying her. Yeah, no, she's but, very very believable as but, she yeah. always is. Yeah. Um, but uh, the central romance aspect of it, uh, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, he's not character. a good choice. <laughs> What? Neither of them is a good choice. That's the tragedy of reality bites. It's, it's like people remember it as this sort of big romance, and there's this, that it's just like, ooh, like he's honey, ve- just he's, go. He's very manipulative and awful. Yeah. Both of them are terrible for different reasons. Yes. And it's just like, honey, just go, go, move to a different city, go get an apartment with Janine Garofalo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She. They, why didn't uh, Janine Garofalo says at one point, "I wish I was a lesbian. It would make my life so much easier." Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking like, Which yeah, is that's overstating a way... things. Well, yes. <laughs> Yes. Yes. We're not here to acknowledge the yes. truth or falseness of that statement, no. but it occurred to me that I wanted them to end up together and to just it exit from It would be more satisfying. The... Yeah. I mean, especially from like the vantage point of 2023. Let's yes. be, just yes. be like, solve Screw your these guys. Yes. But in 1994, it would have been more just like, oh. Steve Zahn could stay with them. Steve Zahn could okay, stay yeah, with them. He was fine. Steve Zahn. It's always nice to see Steve Zahn. It is. It is. It is. It is. In his yeah. most 
Steve Zahniest. Yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway. no, like aligning this with Kicking and Screaming is absolutely correct. That was 95, I guess. So that was that was shortly after this. But Kicking and Screaming is very specific to college, though. Yes. And the thing I like about Reality school. Bites, yeah. Uh, well, the thing I like about Reality Bites is it has a, a bigger, it, it, like she's a valedictorian. Like obviously she has defined herself by her academic success. And guess what that gets you in the real world? <laughs> Reality bites. There you go. So I, I do like how it's a bit more grounded in its negotiation of post-graduation life. It's not just about like, how do we just stay in school? It's like, no, there is an end and you got to gotta. You might have to stuff. work at a, a hot dog at, joint. Or yeah. like the Gap or whatever. The, yes, Mc, the, the McJob. Isn't this where they coined the McJob? The, the idea of anyway like there are all these so. there are all these like gen x tropes that kind of got there tied is a to part, this movie there is a part that made me very happy where yeah. they all sing conjunction junction what's, what's your, function? your function and yeah. i thought to myself that's this a is a movie for me that's a this moment a movie for me. that's right i have to admit as a youth coming of age film i do prefer cameron crowe's movie singles which came out in 1992 it's it's not a great movie. Okay. It is it is an emotional attachment for me. I watched that one quite a bit mm. throughout the nineties. But the thing is about singles is it's more with like late twenties. Like it's like some of the characters went to college, other ones did not. It's it's very much of a place. You were talking about how like location is important. It's Seattle in nineteen ninety two with all the stuff that's going on. Like Eddie Vedder and Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam are in the movie for a few seconds. Um, the late Chris Cornell makes a, a wonderful appearance when he still had all of his hair. I mean, it's like it's, you want to talk about a time capsule. Singles is a gigantic time capsule with a great cast. Um, and I think the thing about the, the, my comparison with singles and reality bites, which I, I do think they're sort of like you're either one or the other. And I am team singles, even if there's a lot to is say that about how the reality world bites. Is defined? You're one of these two. If you are my age, okay. I would say yes. Do you know what I? Oddly but 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 let, let me let me finish this. I think oh. reality bites is not as great as the sum of its parts because the parts are pretty cool, but you put it together and it's like this just yeah. doesn't add up. And singles, on the other hand, is to collectively greater than the sum of its parts because you look at the parts, you're going, how does this make a good movie? It is collectively better. Okay. So that's how I kind of see those two. And a movie I would put in the same category. It's, it's weird. I don't know if I have a movie like that. Maybe Kicking and Screaming, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> like I really loved and responded to um, Ghost World. Ah. I don't know if that's in the same category. I don't know if they've just graduated, but they're high certainly school, dealing yes. with stuff. High school, yeah. But the they go to art school. school. Well, I think one of the well, see now I'm I'm mixing it up with the comic because there's a lot. I read the comic after I saw the movie, and it changed it changes a lot. Yeah. Like it's it the adaptation does take some liberties, even though um, Daniel Klaus, who was the the author, was also involved in the adaptation. Ghost World's great. Ghost World is great. Yeah, highly recommended. A great female friendship film. Um, has and, not has not aged so well because of the um, generationally uh, aberrant romance between Steve. Well, Buscemi I think and I think it's Thorburg. meant. I think it's treated appropriately. Weirdly, I mean, I it, it's yes, but still, it's not like I don't know. I, I I don't think it's condemned as strongly as it would be today, and I'm not sure that's and that's not in the book either. Yeah, it is. Oh, I guess I mean, not. Not no, the full no, on no, romance, no, no. but they yeah. do mess yeah. with the guy. Yes, in but the that, that, yes, it's a it's a different trajectory entirely. Um, so I, I I'm not sure that what the movie ends. Yeah, up maybe doing you're right. It. It's been a while since I've seen yeah. it. Yeah, I, I, I think if you were to readapt the comic today, it would be a really interesting exercise. The, it would the movie, go in, I think, much more interesting. She like direction. wakes up to not to this is a ghost 
Ghost World podcast, but she mm-hmm. wakes up next to Steve Buscemi and she's kind of like, ugh. like she, she, it's not like yeah. it's not like a torrid romance. No, with this, no, this it's older not. Man. No, but but still, it's like, <laughs> could this just not have happened? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. probably yeah, not. But I mean, it's okay. So what else? It's wild to think of the films that the leads in Reality Bites were doing around the same time. Okay, so Age of Innocence was just the previous year for Winona Ryder. Um, Sunrise was just a year later. And it feels like for Ethan Hawke to jump from this Reality Bites character who has this fundamental like juvenile immaturity <laughs> to him, even though he's probably in his mid-20s. I mean, it's, he's the same age in Before Sunrise. And yet, like, there's 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 a continuity to that persona and yet it sheds as you said like a lot of the sort of a-hole-ish tendencies that yes. we see on display in reality bites um he yeah. doesn't have quite as much have much of a chip on his shoulder no but he still does especially later like that comes back by the third movie in the trilogy which we will definitely talk about um but hawk to look just as his career tra- trajectory so sunrise is a year after reality bites he was in this movie alive do you remember the movie alive it's from 1993 um, directed by Frank Marshall, so big Hollywood production about um, the stranded rugby cannibals in the Andes Mountains. Oh, gosh. Um, but he was one of the rugby cannibals. team. Yeah, well, yes. Um, and so it's wild to think about what Hawk was doing at this point in his very early career and it's like sort of like throwing roles out in all directions. Like this is the one that really ends up sticking for a long time. Um, ben Stiller, as we talked about, his big screen role, um, as far as I can tell, going back over his filmography, he did a lot with um, comedy and sketches and, you know, other sort of things. Something about Mary? Yeah. Yeah. 98, The Farrelly Brothers. I mean, that I remember that movie was huge. Yes, I remember that too. Enormous success. And, you know, he was a lead. I and, wonder if that movie's held, held up particularly well. Probably not. <laughs> um, and then after that was, um, what? what Meet the parents. Meet the parents, yeah. And then meet the Fockers. And like so like that was a sort of line for Ben Stiller, but that was not to come from reality bites. No. Yeah, like Stiller's big hit was a couple of years after. I like the Um, cable guy, but no one talks about that movie. He directed that. Ah, okay. I didn't realize he directed that. He directed it and he's in it too. Okay. Well but he he's in a Zoolander, of course, later. Of course. That was a a big college comedy. What about Zoolander Two? And Zoolander Two. Uh everyone talks about that. Um there were there were funny bits. In that I think one too. the failure of Zoolander two led to yeah. uh, Severance. <laughs> he was like, I need to do something else. So this is not. <laughs> they did Tropic Thunder too. Tropic, underrated, under I. I Someone really did a Tropic a, Thunder. A, a vi- it's so problematic. Yeah, an internet oh video about God. could Tropic Thunder be made today? I don't think it's an it interesting could. question. I really don't think it could. Interesting question. But it, it's it. You grit your teeth, and it's just like it makes some point. Speaking of that, <laughs> the use of the R word in Reality Pites was ah, also a weird time capsule. Time Speaking capsule, of sure. Tropic Thunder, yes. Um, he was, was not. Like, oh with yeah, the times. that was what people said in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Winona. It's amazing how these things fall off so quickly <laughs> like like there's a controversy that sort of seems like it could extend forever and then suddenly it's like nope we've decided against it and uh, it's just amazing yeah how things it just is it, there yeah. a term for this and i, I don't want to get super sidetracked here because we we do that a lot but the um for this type of role because i feel like there's another video essay in here somewhere of this sort of a cantankerous smartest man usually in the room who is like homeless, 
but he's usually right, and you kind of like him, but you hate him. This this Ethan Hawke character. I don't know mm. if he it's developed from this movie. I was reminded of Mike Lee's Naked, uh, which is an incredibly visceral take on this character with David Thwellis. Mm. Uh, I don't, it's a movie that is very. Uh, I wouldn't say. Uh, I don't. I don't want to make any value judgment, but it, let's just say it deals with some very. Um, hard-hitting themes, but essentially he's a, a homeless man who's very problematic with women, to put it mildly, who is constant ph philosophizing and is incredibly just just talks about the capitalism and, and society and these in such a visceral way constantly throughout the entire film to random people, and he's because he's essentially homeless, and he's British, and it's in London. And it's very gray. It's like it's like the antithesis to Reality Bites. It's like, what if you took Ethan's hot character and made a real version of that and made him David Thwellis and put him in London? And I was reminded of that. But is there a version? Uh, uh, is, that, is that a type? Is there, Can we name that kind mm. of character? Like some sort of... Because they're usually somehow homeless. They're always like living with people that they know. And they're always problematic with women. And... <laughs> Well, well I don't know. And, and this one, he gets the girl, which is really frustrating. Yeah, that's very frustrating. And, yeah. and, and uh, naked, he does not, he doesn't get anything. But, well, I think in some sense, like, that's Mike Lee you said, right? Yeah. I mean, Mike Lee understands women <laughs> maybe a bit better than <laughs> Helen Childress, apparently. But yeah, it, this one definitely got romanticized. I, I mean, I don't know that there's a term for that and we type, were, but that's... Yeah. That's a keen observation. I'm sure we could dig up some other examples if we looked. And maybe, maybe it was Star. Uh, well, I think I Naked was I, I... a little bit before. Maybe it was like a '90s era thing. I think Naked was around then. Um, but anyway, but Before Sunrise is another variation on that. It sure is. Although um, he's he's got a bit it... more like ah oh, shucks like optimism <laughs> oh, to him. Julie Delpy and Julie Delpy, who's fantastic. Yeah, I mean the Before trilogy like. I don't think we even need to sell the before trilogy. I feel like such a late arrival to this train. I had not, I'd not Literally, seen any of them. Yes. I'd not seen any of them. And it was just one of those things, especially right around the time that uh, before midnight came out, that was yeah. 2013. Um, that was a point where I thought I'm going to do it. I'm just going to watch all three of them. And because it's 2013, my daughter was born that year. And so everything just got, yeah. you know, pushed to the side. And I know it's just, it's, you know, so everything got, um, you know, delayed a little bit, but I, it was, it was a joy to go back and it feels like cheating to watch these three films very deliberately yeah. spaced with nine years in between each entry to go and watch them in the span of like two days. Like I'm, I shouldn't be able to do this, <laughs> but the fact that you can is already an achievement. And now Linklater, who we have talked about in other contexts before, Linklater is a filmmaker who makes fantastic use of time. He obviously thinks very clearly through time. Uh, Boyhood is another one of my yeah. recommendations, which you've not seen yet. Um, but Ethan Hawke is also in Boyhood. And the, he seems tight with Linklater. He, yeah, I mean, he works with the same director yeah. a lot. Like, he, he does a lot of repeat. So obviously, like, he's chill behind the scenes as well. He gets, you know, repeat work with the same people. I think he just likes to, you know get his posse together, be part of a team. And that's clearly what's going on in the Before trilogy um, with Boyhood, too, because with Boyhood, they had to film every year, more or less at the same time. Can you imagine making a commitment as an actor to do the same film project for like whatever it took, like a week every year for a decade? It's incredible what Boyhood achieved with time. And the Sunrise, the Before trilogy is similar. 
Um, and I think it's even more collaborative and that it's just yes. so tightly. It's Linklater, Delphi, and Hawk, and the degree of improvisation and just the, the real tight sort of um, the, the, the structure of it. There's not a whole lot to talk no, about. No. <laughs> but the no, use but of they're... time. The, 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 um, there is a, a little bit of a difference is that sunrise and sunset, so the be, the first and the third. Or middle. Com, the first and the third. Midnight, I'm, you mean. Um, oh, sorry, yes. Before midnight, sorry, yes. Before sunrise, before midnight. So those are the two. They do compress some time. It's a single day yeah. that we see in an hour and a half. Whereas, significantly, I think, before sunset, the middle one yeah, is more much, or less in real time. Yeah, yeah. it's like an afternoon. And that reminded me of Cleo from 5 to 7, which oh, yeah. we've talked about. Yeah. And they're walking around Paris yeah, in a very similar way. Um, it is sort of like extending the part of Cleo where she meets this guy and they're just sort of... It's like, if what if just that bit? <laughs> they go they go on the sin, right? Yeah, they get on a yeah, yeah, with people who already know each other. And, and you know... And that's that's it. And like the, the instead of having this be about her existential crisis as in Cleo, it's it's you know about Both them of as a them. And I and yeah. So that that's what it reminded me of. And also, like my God, Wickham, how could you even possibly suggest <laughs> that this movie might not be an example of peak hotness? Well, I was. It's just... like you couldn't grow better peak hotness in a lab <laughs> from the DNA of Cary Grant. Like that is a hundred percent what the point. We need to get off of this. before sunset. We're, is. We're, we're, we've become in a very objective podcast. I feel between <laughs> this and Winona Ryder. No, no, no. no, no I I agree with you. I just think it's like different stages of it. Like you could argue that your definition of peak hotness would apply to before sunrise. Yeah, like let's 30, review thirty let's somethings. Review. Two mature stars, right. not teenagers, ideally 30 plus, got it in sunset. They're... I'm talking about sunrise. I was saying it's more no. complicated. It's not more. No, it isn't. Not... They're too young in sunrise. How old are they in sunrise? They're like 30. They're not. No. The first one? Um, was, um... She's still at the Sorbonne. They're like 21, 22. Oh. Tops. Oh, okay. Okay. No, they're early 20s. But not in real life, probably. Pretty close, actually. I mean, Ethan Hawke might be a little bit older. It's but, but to they're, be fair, they're it's both been a while playing, since I've seen Sunrise. But. Yeah, they're both playing like early 20s. Uh -huh. Early 20s. Okay, okay. Like it is this, I mean, if it were any other kind of narrative, it might be a coming of age. But it's because it's about their romance. They don't, they don't feel, they, they're, they're so intelligent with each other. They don't feel like, it does not feel like a coming of age movie. Mature stars. Okay, I stand okay, by my definition. Okay. Two mature you know stars. I mean. You know what I mean. 30 plus. Okay who have palpable chemistry with each other sure. and their mutual attraction is central to the narrative affecting uh -huh. various formal points. So we have basically, Sunset. yeah, sunrise hits everything except the maturity. And that is part of what that is about. It's like, we're there and we don't, yeah. and they make really silly decisions because they're young and they don't know any better. And they have these assumptions about life and, you know, and, and then sunrise or sunset, the, the middle one happens. And it's just like, my God, what the hell were we thinking? <laughs> Why were why was it so silly? Why was it so hard to get? You know they you know they couldn't cross paths again, and that's a, the part of the tragedy. This this, but it, it they bring a maturity to that renegotiation that um, yes recaptures that chemistry, but again like lends it that maturity that really like makes it peak. And also the history is is part of it. Exactly. I mean, I, I think that's them. that is what Before Sunset brings to peak hotness as its kind of unique selling point. Brings to your theory of peacock, to my theory of peacock, peacock which Richard I Linklater, am when they were I am planning it, taking with me. 
I'm going to make it my calling card. Dang it. But and before midnight can't be peak hotness. It can't, no, the whole point is it's post-peak. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know. That's it's, not very nice. It's not, well, it's not very nice, but I mean, it. what is driving that narrative is not the fact that they're wildly attracted to each other. It's, I remember it's, the majority it's the of it. fallout. One of them is on a this. toilet for a large part, portion of the mm-hmm. argument, right? What? Isn't like Julie Delpy or Ethan Hawke like they're arguing from like a bathroom toilet? Like there's a very deliberate sort of, like one of them is in the bathroom when they're fighting. I think Julie yes. Delpy's on the toilet while they're fighting. I like just, it, it's yeah, it 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 revels in this mundanity. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, ironically, this is where we see the most nudity. I mean, <laughs> Delpy's wandering around topless for a bit, and we don't see this in the other movies. Um, but well, it's not to get not to be yeah. purely objective, but is is by that very nature is sunset the hottest in terms of like. The the romantic fantasy, uh, fantasy in air quotes of these before trilogy films of yes. like reuniting with this yes. lost love yes. and, and and not being able to emotionally articulate it. That's the main thing I remember about Sunset being very powerful. I think I use the, a lot of people don't think I'm a romantic at heart, uh, Colleen, and I would like to cite the before trilogy as an example of that. I, I really am, but also. Um, I think I watched Before Sunrise the year before and then Before Sunset. So I watched them pretty close and then Before Midnight came way later. after there. Yeah. Um, and I, the main thing I remember about Before Sunset is them not being able to fully articulate what the other person has meant to them for this amount of time. Hmm. And, them, and them thinking about them and dreaming about them. And, and I remember that being very palpable because they are so bantery. And so obviously very comfortable with each other that when in Before Sunset specifically, when there is some some amount of tension or anxiety because they can't fully articulate what they mean to each other. No. That was both very romantic and very uh, true, I felt. Yeah. Um, uh, for, for that kind of, um, for, for the, the, the kind of emotional core of what this trilogy is. And then the Before Midnight is about sort of where does that go? You know, where does this, yeah. where does that it lead you? And it turns out you might have an argument in a bathroom. It is 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 before midnight? Is that in Greece? Where yes, is that? Okay, Greece. Greece. Okay. Yes, we go from Vienna in the first one to Paris for before sunset, and then Greece in before midnight. I mean, it'd be pretty fun to just shoot those. I mean, what I found really interesting. Um, so if we go back to Reality Bites, can you do you have a guess on the budget for that movie? Just a wild guess. Nine million. Close. Eleven point five million okay. is the estimate that I saw on IMDb. So you got about roughly ten million for reality bites. The before trilogy, three movies, were made for a combined less than ten million. And each of them made more than ten million in box office. I mean, incredible stuff. Like so yeah, fun shooting. Pack everybody up, we're going to Europe. Like just I just what a life, man. Linklater <laughs> has it figured out. And he has to go back and to like Julie film. Delphi and Ethan Hawke. He and Ethan Hawke have to go back and film Boyhood with Patricia Arquette. You know, get all that gang back. Just how did he do this? How did he pull this off? And Boyhood came out the year after, before midnight. So he closes off on this yeah. trilogy. And then Boyhood comes out of your Just incredible stuff. What a lineup. Linklater really, dang. <laughs> it's, it's really, really impressive. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it looks like money and it didn't cost that much money. 
Yeah. It's incredible. Just, I mean, just very, very smooth camera work. And, really, and the camera does not stop moving. To, yeah. to your point, like there's not much to say. It's just following them yeah. having conversations. Yes. And the, I would say that there are moments in the conversation where they really do articulate what they've meant yeah. to each other. But, and, but and before it's, sunset, it's, there I remember specific moments where they kind of, there's there's pauses. Like they yes. can't, they can't either respond to nor fully grasp what they're trying to say or what the other person is saying. Yeah. Yeah. And before sunrise, it's more, it's more just kind of flirty, fun stuff. And yeah, then because everything we... is new, right? Which again, like that's the youth, that's the novelty, and then. Am I right about that? Because it's been a while since I've seen Before Sunset, but I remember there being moments of like palpable, like they they're afraid that they're saying too much about how they feel about each yes. other, or how much their yeah. past. They, they don't know them. what's too much. They don't yes. know. They have to say something, but they don't know what. And, yes. it's, and you don't know what sort of toes you're stepping on because, yes. like, that's what I remember. You know yeah. this person so well, and yet they're, they're a complete stranger. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic. So, yes. yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's setting up this peak hotness, like with this mature. <laughs> no, it is. It's it's a maturity. Okay. You need the maturity. I mean, oh, well, the, it's it's that's why it's we agree point with you, Colleen. One. You don't need to keep coming no, back to it. I understand what you say. <laughs> I understand laughing. what you're saying. I'm just trying. I'm trying to articulate why Before Sunset has this very okay. particular kind of okay. maturity. I agree. I understand now. Okay. I thought they were a bit older because they, they, they're very intelligent and they sound a bit older. And I was probably young when I watched Before Sunrise. So, of course, they felt like they were in their late 20s, early 30s. More yeah, so. yeah, no, they're, they're too young for that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Before Midnight. Man, okay. Well, they argue. They do. And Jesse still does not understand the problem by the end of this movie. That To me, that's the tragedy. Like he wants to. And, the, and like and this it's so Ethan Hawke. It's like this is sort of the <laughs> essence of that type. Right. He means well. And you, you don't really want to even if he does poorly at things, you don't want to hate him. But it's just like you also just want to smack him upside the head. Like you don't understand what she's trying to tell you. Is she articulating it 100 percent? Well, no. But holy crow like just her problem is so clear if you've lived it and it's just it's it's like a it whole felt set of very blind relatable i have not watched that movie oh. since i've gotten married oh but. man <laughs> go in prepare there's a very telling line though at the very beginning of before midnight so he he has the son from his previous relationship and he's dropping the son off at the airport after the son has been with them in greece for however many weeks and you know, and they're talking, it comes out that, you know, that Ethan Hawke and, his, and the ex-wife do not get along very well. Um, and this has been a persistent problem. And, you know, it, it can't help but color this relationship that he has with his son. And and the, I think it's the son who says something about, yeah, or you know, I think I think Jesse's the one who says to his son, like, oh, I know your mom hates me, but da, da, da. And, it's, and, certain, and the son looks back at him and just says, you know, dad, I, I think she hates Daniel, I presume it's the stepdad, more than she hates you. And it, it, like he sits with this a little bit, and it, I I think the movie sort of wants you to think at first that okay, she's just a hateful person, <laughs> and she like she is the problem in this relationship. And then by the end, it's like if you can remember that line when he's the kid is telling his dad like he, she hates the current husband more than she hates you. It's like it is exact. She's going through the exact same problem that Celine is going through. Those two have so much more in common than the film would have them believe. If they could sit together across from a table and just forget that they're connected through this guy, they would have like 90% of their life's problems in common. And this goes back to what I was saying um, in our summer rundown about Corsage and like the midlife crisis movies for, for women. It, you can look at Before Midnight as exactly that movie mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for Celine. 
And it's a perfect way of reading what her arc is here. And what's going on with Jesse is like completely different. It's, it's, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's extremely relatable. And it's nice to have that sort of variety in the nature of the kinds of things that are being discussed or the tone of what's being discussed, mm -hmm. uh, where it is not treated in the same, you know, discovery, romantic, right. new, it, it's, it's your, your two movies in at this point. So as a trilogy, they, they all flow, even though they're all of the same, very, very stylistically, very similar yes. execution wise, mm -hmm. it, it, it all... It feels very uh, distinctive in the same way that I'm sure Boyhood is, if I ever watched it, the different periods of life that it is sort of chronicling. You can kind of pinpoint, not just because of the age, but you can kind of pinpoint the um, what what thematically is being referenced by this stage versus this and versus well, this. Yeah, well, yeah, I think Boyhood does a really good job of, yeah, of like dodging a lot of the cliches and using editing to introduce, I mean, we're not talking about Boyhood, but again, Ethan Hawke is in it, what, to, 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 to bring... Ethan Hawke back into that with Boyhood. He basically, in, in Boyhood, he plays the dad who leaves. Um, it, the, I mean, the, the reasoning is different. It's a different situation than in the Before trilogy where it, like he's not leaving for it. He's just, he's just, you know, he's got two kids with Patricia Arquette. He's just like, oh, I'm done with this. And, you know, and later he comes to realize he's made this mistake, this useful mistake. But I mean, there are those parallels, right? I mean, he is doing that in the before trilogy to some degree he's a lot more sympathetic about that choice um whereas it's you know it's the mom who is the much more sympathetic character in boyhood over it and and you know hawk can do both and and you know bring this sort of sympathy to the role that he's playing from as was any of any role except well, for maybe you know reality bites i didn't really feel too much sympathy. did you feel sympathy for him when he was farting in the cave in northman yes yes i did oh, i did feel okay. sympathy because he's a dad <laughs> <laughs> of course. I mean, we've all been there. I mean, um, uh, me and Atlas with Willem Dafoe in a cave. Next time, <laughs> if you find yourself in a cave with Willem Dafoe, please just get me an autograph. <laughs> okay. Okay. I don't know what circumstance that will be in. I, but, I, I um, don't know either. Uh, but no, I, I like Ethan. Um, I think we've he's always been around and he's always been um, in these films that I hold dear and I, and I just appreciate his work ethic, first of all. And also... Um, I guess not so much in Reality Bites, but maybe in the Before trilogy and maybe just him in general. I respond to his sort of uh, sensitivity, or or I should say what I feel like is Ethan Hawke in his movies. I feel like I, I respond to that, and I think that's one reason why I gravitate towards the Before movies is because they feel fairly natural between them mm -hmm. it, it it's very easy to like the performers in them as yeah. well because yeah. it feels very authentic to who they are and i'm sure i'm sure they i mean they're not married in real life uh but i'm assuming they let they love each other in real life and you can really feel that and you can also feel maybe he's maybe part of reality bites is him as well so maybe he's drawing off of that but you can definitely feel um that it's ethan hawk authentically as a person is probably a very decent human being which is why it's fun when he's in like a weird crazy horror film or um you know a cannibal in the mountains yeah. um because it's like oh my god it's this guy that i thought i knew <laughs> um is doing this thing which is why it, it kind of was sucked that in reality bites he i he took it a little too far uh, well uh, yeah 
But it's not it, him. It's no, not his performance. It's, not. it's the it's, character. It is yeah. the character. And people remember that as being so romantic. It's like, oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling that since... Um, since the, you know the '90s get further and further away from us, I think the Before trilogy has overtaken a lot of that. Really. Yeah, I think some of we're we're looking at Reality Bites through Jesse as a character from the Before trilogy, and sort of projecting a bit more romance than there actually was in that character. But yeah, the best ending for Reality Bites would have been her just being like, "Screw, Screw you, you both. I'm gonna go off with. I'm gonna go off with Janine. Yeah. it's gonna be great. We're gonna work it. That's right. Hopefully, they don't get they don't work at the gap forever." Probably not. Yeah, but can we do it a Nona Ryder episode? Do you have any other? <laughs> um, if you if if that's really what you want, the movie is not good. <laughs> but uh, as a Nona Ryder movie, okay, I would recommend this thing she did with Keanu Reeves. Um, it's extremely talky. Scanner Darkly. No. Oh, okay. um, Speaking of Linklater, more Linklater. Yeah. Um, they go to a wedding. Destination wedding. Destination wedding. That, have you seen it? No, I know what you're talking about. But yes, it's. I mean, she especially is just like this catty, awful person. Oh, I can't <laughs> but, wait. No. But and, and Keanu is completely miscast. I mean, why would you think I would want to watch Winona Ryder? Because as a catty... she's in like every scene. Okay. <laughs> and just... you do, and she wears some cute outfits and. Okay. Uh, I think plaid flannel pajamas, if I'm not mistaken. She has to borrow Keanu's pajamas at one point. Oh, my goodness. It's really not a good movie. I don't know how it got made, but it, it's, yeah. Okay. I'll wear a shot and watch it right now. But, yeah. I mean, it's 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 good late period Winona. I also, as, like, I also like her in um, uh, Black Swan. But that's, uh, <gasps> yes. But She's not in it for very long. We haven't done a Winona episode. I think I mentioned that no. before. But, um, um, I, but you know, I've, I've seen Black Swan. She's. St- I think she steals every scene that she's in. in that I movie. have not seen her Little Women. Oh yeah, which would have been around the time of this Reality Bites thing too. I think, but she was Joe March yeah, in the right. '90s Little Women. That's right. Yeah. So I haven't seen that. We'll 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 get we'll go back to the books. We'll okay. But Ethan Hawke's cool too. Ethan Hawke is <laughs> Ethan Hawke is cool. Um, they have talked about doing a fourth one um, for the before. I, I I mean, there was some press that maybe they were doing it, and then they just couldn't come up with a good hook, so they abandoned it. Which, that's fine. That's right. They, they did fine. Integrity. Keep it as a trilogy. Yes. Perfectly fine. Um, they each have a place. They're all I, great. I, I, they may end up revisiting these characters once their children are all out in the world, and then it's you know empty nester, Celine and Jesse, back together. It wouldn't surprise me if, if that gives them more insight. So in another... Yeah, well, well, geez, it'd be another five years from now or so. That would probably be. If he's it. not ending up with Pedro Pascal. Oh, oh no, that would be a good crossover. <laughs> that would be something. Just be like, can <laughs> I introduce you to my friend Pedro, <laughs> Celine? No! Things would heat up immediately. There you go. <laughs> Let's end things on that. <laughs> Whatever. Let let, let but, the audience imagination so, go okay. wild. Well, you work you work on an Owenona episode. I will work on an Almodovar episode. Okay. okay. Because I think we we need to go beyond just the the cowboy movie. We don't even need to do a podcast on it. I'll just work dive. on the Winona on, episode. On Al- oh, okay. Yeah. Right. That is our episode, everybody. You made me watch that as a production of the Department of Communication and Design at Beale Kent University. You can support the podcast by subscribing with your favorite audio app and by following the Beale Kent Cinema Society on Instagram at Beale Kent Cinema. Our cover art was designed by Denis Vaditongur. Our weekly thumbnails are designed by Tyler Nako. Our theme music was composed by Dazio Zovsky. You can check out more of his music on Spotify or wherever you get your fine music 
uh, albums. This episode was recorded by Batuhan Buldu. Thank you, Batuhan. Edited by Tylan Akul and produced by Tylan Akul and the Bilkent Cinema Society with extra Teshekular to our tech wrangler, Uzjan Akar. Do you have any special thanks? I do. Another example of Ethan Hawke's weirdness, um, a little movie that I saw in theaters inexplicably. It came out in a September release, which is notoriously terrible. It's a little movie called Daybreakers, which is about, it's a post-apocalyptic film with Ethan Hawke where he's a vampire and vampires have taken over the world and they're running out of blood. (gasps) And it's an allegory of oil Mm. and it's kind of cheap and it's not great, but Willem Dafoe is in it. And he has a crossbow. And Sam Neill is the head evil vampire. And he's fantastic. And Ethan Hawke makes a good vampire who has decided to give up on blood. Because, of course, he would. And uh, he's, he's the Hawk. good vampire. That's right. And he wears Willem a nice... Willem couldn't quit it. Well, no, Willem Dafoe is the human with the crossbow. Sam Neill is the oh, evil vampire. He's, well, like the, Neil... he's like the business vampire. I told you I saw the piano this summer. I believe it. Yeah. Sam, Sam Neill plays evil. Very good. Yeah, he's very good. Uh, it's a fun little movie. I don't think, you know, it's it's like not a great film, but as an example of Ethan Hawke being in a kind of a silly genre movie, it's good. I like him as a vampire. Ethan Hawke as, a, as an ethical vampire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the twist. That's why you cast <laughs> Ethan Hawke there, because you couldn't believe that he's got a heart of gold in there somewhere. He, his brother is about to pour him a wine a glass of blood, and he says, no, no, no. I'm off it. I'm off it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Wickham. 